Hello, and welcome to You Philosopher. So today is uh, another special episode. Uh, we have an inauguration coming up, and I thought it might be fun to do a uh, inauguration special episode. So um, if we're honest with ourselves, this particular inauguration is a little contentious, and I don't remember one being quite as contentious with some people saying that they're going to boycott it and um, arguments about uh, some Democrats saying that they're not going to go to it. And there's there's a whole lot of people trying to figure out what the uh, what the Trump administration is going to be like. And um, there's there's a lot of a lot of tension and a, a lot of worry and and some celebration, too. Right. Uh, and, and I think we can't ignore that. But there's some people who are very excited about it. So with that in mind, um, I wanted to talk about from my own experience, what I think has kind of characterized this election cycle. And then, um, and, and similarly, what has characterized uh, our experience now, even coming into this new administration. And I think that, that the characterization is probably fear. Um, if you look at the campaigns that were run this year, um, particularly by the time it was um, President-elect Trump and Secretary Clinton uh, running against each other, there was a whole lot of fear rhetoric. And by that, what I mean is a whole lot of, of politicians pointing out to stuff that we might be afraid of. Um, and I think you actually see this in both campaigns, right? So in Mr. Trump's campaign, there's a lot of fear of, of that was in terms of like, vote for me because if you're afraid of losing your job, you're more likely to lose your job under Hillary Clinton. And if you want your job back, right, vote for me. But also a lot of fear of terrorists, a lot of fear of Muslims. So fear of Syrians, for instance. Um, fear of um, the Black Lives Matter movement, right, and what it means for police officers. Fear of what's happening to the, to the coal industry. Fear of what's happening to uh, industrial industry here in the United States. Fear of... Um, what's happening in terms of our deeply held values, right? So our religious values and our family values. So that idea of kind of make America great again, kind of to some degree hinges on, well, we once had things that were good and we moved in the wrong direction. And, and, and unless you want to keep losing those things, you need to vote for me. But if you vote for me, I'll bring it back. And so, you know, fear of things like um, rigged elections and fear of things like um, China and China's economic force. So a, a lot of a lot of fear. And that's not to say that uh, the Clinton campaign didn't engage in this kind of rhetoric too. Um, so you know, the fear of student loan bubbles being a big one. But I think really the the the, the fear dialogue that kind of most characterized the Clinton campaign ended up being the fear of Donald Trump, right? Um, vote for Hillary Clinton because otherwise you end up with this person. Uh, as president. And so that was um, a big motivator, I think, for a lot of people. Now, that's not to say that both cam campaigns didn't also engage in certain kinds of um, positive rhetoric, right? Rhetoric that, you know, has to do with um, here's how we can uh, make things better. Here's how we can improve, right? So that tends to be Mr. Trump's discussion. Uh, uh, Secretary Clinton's discussion tend to hinge on kind of like, well, how can we do things together? How can we come together to accomplish these things, etc.? But that being said, 
Um, I had a conversation with an old colleague just the other day where part of her concern was for those of us who are on other sides, on opposite sides, if, if that's even possible with the complexity of these issues, um, how does one talk with or get through to other people using logic when they're afraid, right? So if they're afraid of Donald Trump or if they're afraid of Muslims, how do we get afraid? How, how do we get across to people who are afraid using logic? Um, and, and, and her reasoning made sense, right? Which is that fear tends to trump logic, right? In other words, um, fear tends to be something that is not rational. And so you can say to people all you want, no, the vast majority of people coming in from other countries are not terrorists, are not people we need to worry about. In fact, a lot of people in, in this country are people we should probably be more worried about than people coming from other countries, et cetera, et cetera, right? They have easier access to guns, right? They might um, have more that they're upset about, whatever. You can say all that, but they're scared and they're, they, they, they've seen what they've seen uh, on television about it. They know what's going on in the media. Um, and, and so they're afraid, right? Or they, it's, it's not similarly with, with Mr. Trump, that, you know, well, how do you say, well, maybe, uh, maybe in fact, things will go in these positive directions, right? So an infrastructure bill, uh, arguably the national debt aside, could certainly have a lot of positive impact in, insofar as the, the infrastructure here in the country is falling apart. And we tend to talk about infrastructure right now when it comes to Mr. Trump in terms of jobs, and albeit jobs that won't last forever, but we forgot that not long ago we were talking about infrastructure in terms of we have a crumbling infrastructure, right? And so arguably that's something that both Democrats and Republicans could get behind for various reasons, right? So, but if someone's afraid of Mr. Trump, they that argument may just not, well, but it's not really going to work or he's only going to do it in these particular ways or he's only going to let it be in ways that benefit his own company, so on and so forth. So how do we have discussion when fear is such a prevailing force? How do we have conversation? How do we use logic with each other? And to that, I can't, I, I don't have a particularly good response. Fear is pretty powerful. And I think my colleague is right. Uh, it, it, it tends to be more powerful than logic. And I think for all of us, right? I mean, it's back here in the base of the brain. It's, it's, it's there. It, it overrides everything. But having said that, I do think there's another direction that we can go that we don't really talk about much. Um, it's kind of frowned upon here in the States, I think a little bit now. Um, it's seen as a little too like huggy or a little too weak, uh, not grounded in logic enough. But just to take a brief tangent, Part of the conversation about Mr. Trump's upcoming presidency has been a kind of reflection on sociology and anthropology and in, in what's called the great man theory. That a lot of people for a while were thinking, oh, this idea that one person can come in and make significant change is kind of an antiquated, paternalistic, basically sexist idea. That social change is made by movements and it's made by groups of people. Um, so Mr. Trump's like tremendous impact is causing some theorists to kind of revisit that idea. Like, oh, maybe one person really can have this kind of massive impact. And some people are viewing this very positively and, and some people are viewing this very negatively. And well, if, if fear is what's characterizing our engagement with this person, right? And this great, and this great man theory, then, well, we're looking at someone, we're talking a lot about dictatorship talking a lot about tyranny. I mean, we throw that around with Mr. Trump a lot as if that's our only option, 
And by, by that, what I mean is, is we, if, if there is more to this great leader theory than maybe we thought, that one person can have a fairly significant impact uh, in terms of social change. Well, the, only, the, the people who have impacted our societies in massive ways haven't just been the Stalins and the Hitlers of the world, right? They've also been the Gandhis and the Martin Luther Kings and the John Lennons of the world, right? Um, you know, the, whether or not, it, whether you believe he existed or didn't, at least in terms of narrative, right? People like Jesus Christ and the Buddha, right? And, and notice though that on one hand, we have people who um, are, are moving and shaking things by being tyrants, but we also have people who are moving and shaking things by using philosophies of love. And the reason why I'm saying this and the way I want to tie it back together is, is I don't think that logic trumps fear, but I think we forget that the reason why I think most people are afraid is because there's something that they love that they're afraid of losing. And so it's really hard to be sympathetic to them when we just view them as being irrational. They're just being crazy people and they're just afraid. They're just afraid irrationally. And we forget that there's something that's really important to them that they love that they're afraid of, of losing. And if we look at both sides of the aisle in that way, I think we're, we're, we actually can get a, a lot more traction. And, and, and the realization that the many of the people who voted for Donald Trump did not vote for Donald Trump because they're just xenophobic monsters, right? They voted for Mr. Trump because maybe there's certain things that they're afraid about, but they're, in other words, there's things that they love. There's things that they care about. Well, what I mean, well, maybe they, they, they love their country or they, they, they love their culture. They, they love their families and they haven't had work in a while. And so they're afraid that that's not going to get any better unless there's massive social change. They're afraid of politicians. They're afraid of what's going on in Washington, right? And similarly, right, there's this tendency to go, oh, well, you know, liberals, they just, you know, uh, they just want to give freebies out to everyone and they just want the government to control everything and they want to take away our freedom. And and, and when you when you really think about it, the vast majority of people who are voting or voted for Hillary Clinton or people who, who vote for Democrats, they're not doing that out of out of hate. They're not doing that because they just want to take everyone else's rights away. They're doing that because there's something they really care about and there's people that they love. They're worried about the impact on on, on women, right? They're they're worried about the impact on minorities, right? They're 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 worried about the future and uh, and what's going to happen to the earth. In, in the long term. And I think even the most contentious of issues that we have, say issues of abortion, it's really easy to characterize other people in the most hateful ways and, and just fear oriented ways, right? So that, you know, people who are, uh, uh, who, who believe a, a abortion should be a fundamental right. Well, we just characterize them as just monsters uh, who just want to kill babies as opposed to people who recognize how much control we have forced on women over their own reproduction. We forget that we have a long, long history in the world of telling people not just who they could marry, but who they could have children with and how many children they're supposed to have, that, that literally their husbands could force impregnate them and that they had no say over even options like contraception and that women's lives would be in danger in that way, and that they haven't for a very long time and not until recently had much say over their reproductive rights at all. And by that I mean, 
whether or not they even had a choice in terms of having sex or choosing to have children or not. And the other side of the coin is we tend to say, oh, well, people who are against abortion, those people, well, they just want to take away women's rights. So they just hate women. And we, we don't consider really the possibility that these people are concerned about the life of a fetus, which we may argue about whether or not the fetus is a person, but at the end of the day, they're concerned about a life or what, what they believe to be a life. And that that's laudable, that both groups at the end of the day, one's concerned about rights and equanimity and the other's concerned about, about life and equanimity. And so we have a common ground. There's something that we love. There's something that we care about and something that we're afraid is going to be harmed. Now, I will make one little caveat, and perhaps it's because I'm cynical and a bit bitter. I'll make a caveat that I'm not sure that politicians themselves, or many of them, are coming from places of love and care. I think it's really easy to manipulate our places of love and care into fear so that we'll vote for them one way or the other. Um, it's, it's a little bit of that power dynamic that discussion that we've had in, in previous um, episodes, that when people come into power, the kinds of people who want power tend to be a little bit more dangerous, and it's a little easier for them to start losing sight, just psychologically speaking, of the fact that they're just like everyone else and that they're not special. But having said that, the vast majority of us, and maybe even a fair number of politicians, are probably coming from places of care and love when we're engaging in this sphere. And so this is all to say that if we're afraid right now, one way or the other, whatever group it is we're afraid of, whatever person it is that we're afraid of, whether it's the president-elect or the president or whatever is going to happen with politicians in general, well, maybe it's time for more of us to start combating that fear, not just with logic, which, by the way, would be great if we were willing to sit down and talk with each other, but with love. And I realize it sounds a little fluffy bunny, but again, think of the Mother Teresas of the world. I mean, there's the Albert Schweitzers of the world. There are people who have made significant changes through proselytizing the idea of care and love and trying to recognize the fact that other people matter too and that they have thoughts and feelings just like I do. And so perhaps the solution to our current unwillingness to converse with each other, our, 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 our fighting and our partisanship isn't just logic, but is in fact, maybe we need more great people who are willing to talk about love. So with that, I wish you a, a, a wonderful rest of the week and a lovely inauguration. And, and remember, whatever side you're on, it is nice still to live in a country that has a peaceful transfer of power one way or the other. So uh, let's go out there and uh, be more loving and make some change.